Welcome to the podcast, Cutting for Sign. I'm Ron Cecil, men's life coach and writer, together with my co-host, best friend and artist, Daniel Penner-Klein. Throughout our lives and as friends over the past decade, we've asked, how do we find the clues and puzzle pieces that align us with our higher potential? Join us as we converse with experts, artists, adventurers, mental health professionals, and fellow deep thinkers as we cut for sign and attune our own potential, mental health, and creativity. The bad white man calling the devil. The alibi calling eyes like the sky. Everybody, welcome to Cutting for Sign. I am Ron Cecil. Hey, hey, Daniel Penner Klein. Ron, feeling a little tired and funky today. Didn't have the best night's sleep. I well, you said you weren't going to. I was like, how how much is this self fulfilling <laughs> prophecy? You said it. No, you no, said, no. left me a voice message. You're like, I'm that's not a do good it. point. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. So I, I my take on that is that uh, accepting that something's probably going to happen is a good way to to accept it and to be okay with it and you're saying that i'm okay with this but i also said maybe i'll surprise myself i don't i don't get too hung up on the self-fulfilling prophecy uh, thing like if as soon as you say it or think it it's going to happen if that was the truth then every time i said i was going to be a millionaire i would become a millionaire it's a little more complex than that (laughs) all right well uh we're we're here man we're here i got a good night's sleep so i feel i feel fine do you buy and, that uh, crock of bullshit that I just I, made? I, we'll get into that. Let's get into self-fulfilling prophecy. So we got a guest on today, a gentleman who's a fun, funny guy. He's known for being funny. Has made a career out of uh, making people laugh with the yucks. So um, I think we don't. So, you know, in the draw, you know, what I'm looking forward to talking to this guy is um, is Ted uh, has a great experience uh, being raised Catholic and uh, not being Catholic any longer. And I went the other way. I was raised away from that and have, and I'm kind of Catholic-ish. And so I want to see uh, what he thinks of that experience of mine. You you surprised me so much around this conversation uh, of, of uh, religion. Like, like you've said you're Christian-ish. You've said you're Catholic-ish. You said you're totally the opposite of that. Like, yeah. If you... Hey, I mean, I mean, like, if people can it. identify as non-binary or, or uh, you know, somewhere on the spectrum non-binary. of bi, I'm like... You know, I'm I'm a sliding scale of religious experiences and religious bi- faith. Religious, wow. Religious. That's a good point. Okay. Polytheist. No, right. not polytheist exactly, but you know, supposed, supposedly the the cat word Catholic meant something like universal. Yeah, it, it actually was, means exactly that universal. Yeah. Yes, and the idea, and you would know more than this, but let me give it a college try. Isn't the idea that they were like, let's get to the let's. What am I trying to say? It sounded like from the gist I got from a good friend of mine 10 years ago that really touched me is he he was saying that Catholicism was trying to bring it all together. I guess all the religions are are, are trying to, or yeah. they their intention, their root of their of their existence is really good, you know, and then they get kind of warped over time, it seems to me. What can you tell us a little bit about? what that universal meant i think that's fascinating that's a good question i don't know i don't know the the answer but i will say is is from my experience what i've witnessed is there's still a strong 
contingent of Catholics who do believe in a kind of a universal faith. In other words, any faith that you have any of any kind, even if it's a, it's a, an adherence to science and a faithfulness to science and a faithfulness to doing better for humanity is your salvation. And, and I think that's what I subscribe to. And, um, and that's exciting to me and feels good to me and feels like I can retain a part of my religiosity or retain a part of my love for ritual, a love for, for something old yeah. and, and still lean into something that is a complete mystery to me. Well, that's a totally different idea than the zeitgeist of, of Catholic Catholicism, you know, yeah. Christianity, religion in general, right? Is yeah. How often do you hear that? You know, how, how often do you hear that? Yeah. You know, the real idea of Christianity is is that everyone can believe and if you have a faith that you're working with and that you're you're committed to that that is a you know that then check that box you're good with us like that is literally the opposite of what of what a lot of us hear you know so this is fascinating yeah it is fascinating to me and i and i i think there's a lot of uh, i don't know why it is but a lot of us human beings love to draw a line in the sand around things it's hmm. like here's the definition of what i need in my life to feel safe yeah, feel like I'm at least smarter than other, but someone else, or have enough information to feel like I'm, I'm got my wits about me. Yeah, that. Yeah, and 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 you know, even in my little experience trying to to lean into the Catholic experience, um, I have found, unfortunately, for me, you know that that line in the sand like a few times, and and the Roe versus Wade thing that just happened this last year is like one of those things where, where a lot of people who I thought were more universal. And the Catholic experience, like we're like, oh, this is good and this is fantastic. And I was like, mm. holy shit, I'm hitting the ejector seat. So, mm. yeah, it'll be fun to get in in that. And what about you, man? What are you excited about with uh, our our buddy Ted here? Well, I mean, I guess getting his take on things like that. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I'm serious. I remember when that friend of mine told me that about Catholicism and that that meant universal. And then the way that this particular friend was, they're fucking crazy, man. Like they're one of those people that just like. They put words together in weird ways. They disassemble a single word, say a different <laughs> version of it. Um, this guy like says supposedly except instead of supposedly every single time. And it's like, I fucking love it, man. Another one, uh, he's just I literally have I literally have a um, supposedly. <laughs> oh, I, I have that's my new word that's not gonna ever leave my brain. Oh, he also says saranara instead of sayonara. He goes saranara. Is he fucking like, with you? <laughs> No, man, his brain is Swiss, Swiss cheese. It's Plinko. You drop a fucking coin through it, and it, it, you don't know really where it's going to end up. But it's charming as hell. Yeah. And then he'll go. I, and I know, I know, Ted's here. Give me, give me yeah. a really quick second to wrap this up. But you know, I, I love my, I love when people make up words accidentally or on purpose. Is that great little moment in, in Endgame, uh, in Marvel's Endgame when some one of the one of the Avengers or whatever is is given or the galaxy ga gardens of the galaxy. It's the raccoon. He's like, that's not a word. And then um, no, he goes, that's a made up word. And then Thor, just a throwaway line. He goes, all words are made up. And I was like, oh, man, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> so I want to get Ted's opinion on made up words, on the universality of Catholicism. Let's fucking rip this thing. Awesome, man. Let's let him in. All right, Ted Alexandro, you are a comedian. You've made a you've made multiple appearances on David Letterman, Conan O'Brien, Jimmy Kimmel, Craig Ferguson, and The View, and have had two half-hour specials on Comedy Central. You are also active in several social justice movements and are a co-founder of the New York Com Comedians Coalition, which raised pay for comedians in New York City comedy clubs. 
Ted, you all also co-created the award-winning comedy Web Teachers Lounge with Hollis James. You star as a music teacher in New York City Elementary School. Each episode stars a different comedian as a faculty member. Teachers Lounge, Lounge won two Synopsis Digital Media Awards. You have appeared regu regularly at the iconic Comedy Cellar in New York City and are said to be a New York comedy fixture as, quote, firmest bedrock. Ted, you believe in equality among your professional peers and uh, people in general, having a voice in social conversations and saving your loose change. Ted, welcome to Cutting for Sign. Well, thank you very much. And, and I like how, you know, usually hosts will read your bio as if they're reading it to the audience, but I liked how you, you addressed it to me. You're like, <laughs> true. <laughs> that, yes, yes, this is all true. <laughs> Let me do it one more time with a really like arrogant and, a, and aggressive. <laughs> yeah, confrontational. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> so I can get into it. I that think there's great. probably a parallel universe somewhere where Daniel is actually the gatekeeper of heaven, of the afterlife. And this is what is read Whoa. after someone dies. Whoa. And this is happened. And then you're judged. Oh, yeah, I like, <laughs> yeah. like it. Like yeah. it. You yeah. recently learned that my name means the judgment of God, right? There it is. It's Daniel. Yeah, there wow, I think we're, we're putting the pieces together. <laughs> Everything's becoming so clear. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, you know, Ted, I, I came up with your name um, uh, just through my Instagram reels. I started following your comedy, enjoyed it. And then as I sort of collecting your take on things, um, you know, it seems like you've got a, a lot more to add than just a, a, um, than just comedy. And when I started to listen a little bit to your podcast, and getting more uh, more information about you. It seems like you're really a valued leader in the community among the comedians over there. You've been at it a while. And, and uh, you know, it would have been great if I just to have someone on here who was fun to talk to and a good comedian, but I was, I was pleasantly, um, it was a welcome surprise to see how much depth you have in your life and how, how much you've added to this world. It's just a pleasure. Oh, I appreciate that. Well, it, you know, to be fair, it doesn't take much to be a leader amongst comedians. So, <laughs> what do you or, mean by that? <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just taking a shot at my peers. Um, no, it's, it's cool. I, you know, I, uh, I was fortunate enough to be involved in some organizing stuff, and uh, yeah, you know, it, the, especially on the comedy landscape, it was, it was cool to, uh, to participate in that and, and to be amongst the people spearheading it. Yeah. Do you still play that active role? I know that some of the stuff you did was back in the 80s. Uh, well, not the 80s, but the, the 90s and uh, mostly early 2000s okay. into the, uh, what do you call it? The teens, the tens? What do they call that? The aughts. That's my the favorite aughts. one, the aughts. I, too, I yes. think the British aughts. call it that, the aughts. Isn't the aughts the, uh, the like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. I'm totally, yeah, totally wrong. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. The you're teens, asking what I guess. they call the teens. Yeah, yeah. The teens, that is a weird one. 2010s. Yeah. I don't know. If pe are... I, people, people just don't say anything. They just say, act like it doesn't exist. The tannies. Same. But anyway, yeah. So I did. I did a lot of organizing stuff. I kind of just fell into it. It wasn't like I was, you know, chomping at the bit to be an organizer. It just kind of, yeah. you know, I just kind of followed. Uh, what came into my life and what felt right. And uh, so, yeah, I, I founded the New York Comedians Coalition with uh, several other comedians and we wound up getting the, the pay raised for comedians. So that was, yeah, that was kind of a, a cool thing to, to be part of. You know, as you're going through it, you're not really aware of all of the significance and the moving parts and 
the dynamics of everything. You know, you're kind of just flying blind. But um, yeah, it was very memorable and ultimately successful. So that you know, I'm proud of having been involved in that. Has the FBI infiltrated your group yet? <laughs> uh, I, so yeah, yeah. I think some of these comedians, I I question whether or not they, they are uh, just only comedians. If they they must be working for the deep state in some capacity. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I think there were more than a few that were uh, present at the meetings. I'm surprised you didn't want to name it something like the uh, the Socialist Comedian Guild, you know, of the New York City or something like that. Well, that would have scared away half the comedians, I think. You know, they, they, that kind of language. <laughs> you got to keep it like down the middle. Uh, Do you guys have like a uh, like a you know a hall your own hall that you get to be in where no one else gets to come in and you you know drink beer and and you raise minutes and things like that? Yeah, you know that. That would have been good. We're not that organized, though, so mm-hmm. it was mm-hmm. haphazard. Uh, there was a couple of venues that that lent us their space. Uh, one was the Writers Guild, and the other was AFTRA, uh, American Federation of Television and Radio Artists. I believe that stands for. Mm-hmm. So AFTRA was nice enough to give us their space as well. Uh, so you know, part of me wishes those meetings had been recorded because they they were funny. You know, when you get yeah, two hundred yeah. in one room. Um, they're not going to, you know, behave for more than 10 minutes. So yeah, it was, it was fun as well as being, uh, necessary and God, important. You really had 200 comedians in one room. Yeah. At the height of it. Yeah. People wow. were showing up for meetings. Um, yeah, it was, it was pretty wild. Was and that some like people, a room full of like uh, many Doberman pictures? Like what was like, was there, is that just chaos or were people like trying to get down to business? Well, it was interesting because I think probably like any sampling of human beings, you had people all over the map. You had those that were there almost like in a club, right? Like the good students who were there yeah. Yeah. business and you have the class clowns who are like interrupting it every chance they get or people are kind of just sitting in the back or against the wall. Like I'm here, but I'm not. Yeah. I'm just listening. Um, so, yeah, you kind of had a mix across the board. But the fact that it was for a raise in pay everybody had something invested so uh yeah people were paying attention is that be- is that based on like a standard pit rate of pay for a, a you know a 10 minute set or a 5 minute set or an hour or whatever it is is there like a like a number per minute standard well, that was you- there or something yeah i don't i don't know if you can use the word standard cuz it's yeah. all so bizarre and and arbitrary um but at the time that we first did it i so i did it on two occasions the first time i kind of did it solo where i just put together a petition that i got uh over 100 comedians to sign so that was the first time and at that point the weekend pay raise was 50 dollars a set you know so typically on the weekend you're doing probably 15 minutes maybe 20. um so that was early 2000s and then the second time with the new york comedians coalition was a few years later uh, comedian Russ Maneev called me up and said, do you want to revisit the, the pay issue? And I was kind of, you know, ambivalent about it because it, it took so much organizing the first time, even with the petition and getting people to sign it. And because this was pre social media. Hmm. Uh, so it wasn't as easy as just like, Hey, uh, I have this petition, you know, uh, like I was physically going to comedy clubs or like hmm. the coffee shop next door to get people to sign the petition. Um, but anyway, I eventually caved in cause I saw that Russ was as committed as I had been. 
Um, so he talked me into it. So then we then we started up and that was the bigger effort that was more like organizing and that became the New York Comedians Coalition. And on that effort, uh, so the first raise was from 50 to $60 on the weekend. And then with the coalition, it went from 60 to 75. Uh, one club went to 80. And it has since gone up a couple of times at um, like the comedy cellar. Like the owner has been kind of open to dialogue. And, you know, so uh, what I'm proudest of is that it created the environment where comedians like bring that up and talk about it so mm-hmm. that now the owners know. I mean, because truth be told, it's now even at, at, at the highest at the seller, I think maybe it's 125 uh, for a, a weekend set. Um, but that's still it's still low. I mean, that's what we were asking for in 2000 or 2001. We were asking for uh, I think 100 um, or 110. I can't remember. But, you know, to live in New York is insane. So yeah. 125 for for a set. And these are amongst the best comedians in the business if you're working at the cellar or, or any of these clubs for that matter. Um, so, yeah, you know, it was um, I'm proud of the progress that was made. Uh, like with any of these movements, it's it's never exactly what you want, but um, it's progress. Is this what you um, you're still in New York now, right? <clears throat> No, I I moved because I'm married now with two kids. I have a two and a half year old son and a 16 month old daughter. So we moved during the pandemic up to Connecticut, uh, a couple hours outside of. Oh. So how has your role changed, like in the comedy world? Well, I would say that I'm just not as active in the New York clubs. You know, I tour with Jim Gaffigan, so that's kind of a full time. Because he's Catholic, and you feel safe around Catholics. I do feel safe. There's something very familiar, <laughs> but scary. Uh, we were talking before uh, before you hopped on about because Ron was referencing your bit on Catholicism and being raised Catholic, and Ron was saying how he's kind of going the other other direction and talk about that. But I kind of led us to a conversation around. Um, we'd heard that that uh, that word Catholic meant universal, and that the roots of Catholicism were actually pretty awesome um, religiously. They they were very inclusive and um that we were i was just curious if you had heard anything about that or if you had any uh well, I, I definitely heard that about jesus he was a pretty <laughs> inclusive guy. pretty inclusive fella <laughs> yeah. surprising. but uh yeah no i didn't i did not know that about the uh the derivation of the word itself catholicism but um yeah i mean that's what you know i was raised catholic my parents were very involved the church so, uh, you know, and I was as well, like with kind of just youth groups and even kind of my earliest artistic experiences um, were the community theater group that the church had. So I would do the plays during the summer. How many uh, times with, did you get to play like one of the Old Testament guys with that beard? <laughs> well, this was pre-beard. So oh, okay, okay. <laughs> I didn't have that in, in my arsenal. Uh, I was left only with my my acting talents to get me through, <laughs> but but we that, did got we did Godspell and you know all those kind of plays. We did West Side Story, Grease, all oh, all the. Man. I think that's what I love about Catholics is they're kind of normal. I mean, other than like the virgin birth, right? Like like you just have to start there and go. I believe in a virgin birth. You're like, okay, there's a separate reality. <laughs> right. I into that. That's okay, but there's also this kind of buy-in with with what I I mean I perceive from the outside kind of is that they're also kind of very fucking normal people. And, and I grew up in the evangelical movement where it's like, everything had to be its own spin on whatever itself. 
So I too got to do a lot of drama. That's what we call it, drama or um, plays or whatever. But it was always like there'd be a fucking moral. It always pointed back to like, you're going to die and go to hell unless you say this series of magic words in order to encant the spirit of Jesus to enter into you and keep you from doing that. And, and that caused a lot of like fear and trembling, not in the fun way, but like, like, holy shit, like if I don't do this, I'm going to die the long death, the forever death. And, uh, and I feel a little coerced into this. And I, I don't, I mean, I've, I, I didn't, I was not raised Catholic. I was, the, I was raised the only white boy in a all Hispanic school in New Mexico where at like two 15 in the afternoon on Fridays or whatever, there would be an announcement over the PA saying, um, school is dismissed for catechism. And I would be the only kid left in class sitting there <laughs> like reading Berenstein bears or something like that. Whoa. And the other kids would leave and, uh, and I'd go home and my, the message I got was like, they believe in worshiping Mary and they're, you know, just all kinds of ex- extreme stuff. And that's a good another- way. That's a good way to recruit those. Like everyone leaves except you. <laughs> uh, all right. All right I'll, I'll go along. <laughs> okay, yeah. Please include me. <laughs> yeah. I, I, uh, I like this guy named, um, uh, what is his name? Oh, it's going to come to me in a second. He's a Franciscan friar out of, out of Albuquerque and just as coincidental. I didn't know that he was there. Um, and he is of the universal consciousness. Uh, you know, everything is there. The, the idea that uh, a person who gives their life over to um, even science, but for the good of humanity, or in your case, comedy for the good of humanity, um, is, is therefore, <laughs> you're like, mm. <laughs> I'll, go, I'll go along with it. Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, or in my case, this, uh, you know, fucking hearing myself talk with my best friend to other people for the good of humanity, uh, is, is, uh, our salvation. And, and whether that's true or not, I don't know, but it makes me feel pretty good about humanity and life and people around me and, and feels like a, you know, there's a, at least a, a tint of purpose. Uh, do you find yourself, do you find yourself, um, at all positively or negatively still influenced by your religious background? Like there's like a, like, it's almost like you're seeing life through some kind of lens that you may not even be aware of all the time. Yeah, I think so. I mean, on the one hand, I think I have enough distance from it that I'm not like practicing and attending church, but I did that for, you know, up, probably up until 25, maybe 30, even as far as like in some uh, capacity. Yeah. So yeah, it's definitely ingrained in me. And the thing that I liked about Catholicism, as opposed to maybe what you were talking about with some of the evangelical strains of Christianity or whatever, uh, like the stakes were always very low. Um, yeah. like it seemed like, you know, most people were not paying attention in church, even, including the priests oftentimes. <laughs> uh, so it was just very low uh, stakes as far as like, it was more the vibe was like, let's get through this, um, you know, and get on with our day. So yeah. I really appreciated that element of the worship, <laughs> you yeah. know? Um, but what I, what always resonated with me more from Catholicism were the tenets and the, the Jesus message, the Jesus story, selflessness and all of that kind of stuff. So yeah, the things that you're talking about with regards to like a purpose in life and kind of maybe, 
you know, tapping into the best of those around you. I think that that definitely resonated. And I think, you know, both paths that I have taken uh, first initially as a teacher and then, um, you know, more so as a comedian for close to 30 years now, um, there's definitely that. I think that is a kind of a bedrock of how I try to proceed, being aware of uh, you're part of something, you know, and you're contributing to something. Do you, would you say that, um, you know, there's so many uh, social discussions right now. It's, it's really cool. I think a lot of people are building articulation and awareness and a lot of um, labels are kind of getting peeled off and people are having um, struggling with that and celebrating that and going through that. Uh, Where do you, what do you find yourself passionate about as far as um, some of the discussions going on around maybe mental health or sexuality, gender, you know, anything. Do you find yourself really participating in any of those conversations? Well, it's, it's hard to, you know, really participate to the extent that I did with say Occupy Wall Street or Black Matter, some of the things that I was involved with before I got married, you know, but obviously life has changed a lot. So I don't, I just don't have the time to participate uh, and attend any kinds of, you know, um, gatherings or rallies or things that I, you know, used to do organizing. Um, but of course, yeah, I, I pay attention to all those things and, uh, I'm, you know, social justice and all of those things are always on my radar and, you know, keeping up with whether it's the climate movement or, you know, all the things that you mentioned, there's always things that are pretty pressing. You know, I read something in one of your bios, uh, I was a little confused by it. Um, I didn't know how much of a joke it was. Um, it was talking about you having a an interest in it being an equestrian at a certain point in your life. <laughs> that was a, yeah, that was a joke. Just I don't all joke. Tex Alexandro strikes again. Okay. <laughs> I was gonna say, I was like, <laughs> is this a seed of truth, and then it's a joke, or is this a hundred percent a joke? Maybe it was just like a a misspelling of uh, of thes- thespian. Oh, yeah, <laughs> egalitarian. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of different options. But no, equestrian, I've, I was on a horse once as a kid, and I think I fell off. Uh, so that, that was that was it. I know uh, when, um, you know, uh, it sounds like you have gotten into being a parent a little bit, a little bit older, in, uh, later in life. And I know that me personally around that subject, I keep feeling like, wow, you know, if I had a chance to be a father, um, that would be special. I'm starting to feel pretty solid in some ways that I never really knew I would. And to potentially celebrate that, pass that on, learn in some more ways that I probably could only learn in through being a father. It starts to get my heart going fast every once in a while. I don't know if I'll ever do it, but I'm because curious. you want to have a child. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I don't, I wouldn't. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I would say a guy with a picture of a bike on his wall is, is well equipped to become a dad. <laughs> I'm, at, I'm at my college right now where I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Which well, means listen, I'm not I'm, well I'm... equipped to be a dad. <laughs> I would say uh, as someone who got married at 48 and became a dad first at, at 50, um, it's, it's great. I mean, obviously I don't have anything to compare it to because I wasn't a dad at 20 or 30 or 40. Um, but 
I'm so much more equipped in probably every way yeah. to deal with the challenges of fatherhood and, and being a, a husband, a partner that, you know, um, I think I would have just been so anxious uh, if, if it had happened when I was younger. I mean, it's, it's always nerve wracking anyway, and it's, it's hard with as much travel as I do. So the majority yeah. of it falls on my wife, like when I'm away. So yeah, there's a lot of things to juggle, but as far as knowing who you are and kind of feeling comfortable with yourself and with life, yeah. you've sorted through so many issues and things, you know, you kind of arrive at a, a pretty good place by the, hopefully by the time you're my age. Yeah. Do you find that you you feel like you enjoy it more? Is there a deep sense of, of fulfillment? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think there's just a, a peace and a calm that, uh, that may not have been as present in my younger days, you know? Um, I mean, I do a joke about it where I talk about, I, I bring a, a grandfather energy to fathering. I almost you know. said that, but I was like, oh, I don't know if that'd be being a dick. Yeah, no, <laughs> go right ahead. It's true. It's true. Yeah, it's because, I mean, you know, our tour manager uh, is 57 and he is a grandfather. Um, yeah. So it, it literally could be the case, you know, uh, I'm, I'm of the age where, you know, mathematically it, it works out. But I'm glad that I'm I'm a dad, you know, because uh, I'm really loving I'm really loving that and the day to day. And and luckily, you know, it is a little bit extreme because I'm gone for sometimes 10, 12, 14 days at a time. Uh, but then I'm also for sometimes, um, you know, almost a month at a time. Uh, so I'm there 24 seven. So it's, it's a trade off. You know, I get to experience things that probably a lot of dads don't. Um, so it's just, you know, that's, that's the rhythm of, of my life with like with getting booed off a stage getting booed off the stage yeah. yeah yeah you know then i can pass those lessons along to kids <laughs> life is hard guys um <laughs> who who gave you more pressure to have kids your wife or your catholic friend jim gaffigan <laughs> you would think it would be jim right he's got five um, I, I thought he had 20 I, I didn't know i just knew it was some catholic number which was a lot catholic well if catholic. you're yeah, if you're among them it, it can feel like 20 but yeah, yeah it's just it's just five i think it's uh three boys and two girls and the the oldest boy has actually toured with us a couple of times no way. Uh, in fact he's, he's coming tonight we're in minneapolis and that's awesome uh his son jack who's 16 uh has done sets with us he he goes out and opens and does like you know three four minutes nice. that's amazing that is so yeah. cool that is yeah. really cool he's really good yeah it's ron fun. has ron has this little secret passion uh, this little hope to do a little stand-up someday I only in the sense that I will accidentally end up in a room that I didn't know was going to be an open mic night. And suddenly it's my time and I get up there and I kill for three minutes and then I leave and, uh, and then it's done. And then I, that scratch is itched and, uh, or that itch is scratched. Thank you. And then <laughs> that's it. That's all I got to do. I took a, I took, I live in Portland, Oregon. And I took a, um, uh, improv class, you know, with like the, with like people who are uh, afraid of public speaking because of sales or, right. or whatever it is, you know, like there's, you know, Portland has like Nike and, and, um, uh, Intel, like some big corporations, you yep. know, you'll see those folks in there and they're there because they like are terrified of having to 
you know, be on their heels in a conversation. And, uh, and I remember I, I got to like, I had one joke that just came to me and it, I delivered it and it killed. And I literally wanted to run out of the room in victory and, and just say yeah. like, I I've done it. I never have to do this again. Is <laughs> there get- anything better than, than dropping a, than getting a genuine laugh that even surprises yourself? I just, oh, I don't, I, love th- it. I don't think so. I don't know. I think that's probably yeah. the best. Well, it doesn't surprise me anymore. You know, like you kind of know when they're coming. I mean, but but yes, th- there is nothing better than like when you have a new joke or something new you're working on uh, and and it hits with the crowd the way you expect. But even sometimes in spots that you don't expect, like you alluded to, uh, sometimes like a certain line will uh, get a laugh that you weren't expecting. You kind of you kind of expect like you have your little tent poles of where you think things are going to land. Uh, but sometimes even like you go off on a tangent on stage and another thing occurs to you. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the fun, the kind of just figuring it out, you know, as you go. You know, someone once said there's a difference between people who's people who say funny things and people who say things funny, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, there's just some people I'm now, now you, we're in deep waters, you know, these are, these are, this is your world, but I just, I just think that I, I love finding comedians where you just look at them and you're halfway to laughing, you know, just the way that they look and the way that they carry themselves, the tone of voice, whatever it is. I get you know, it. I look funny. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> that was part of the appeal. We, yeah. we didn't have our funny looking people quota up for the month. So we thought there he is. <laughs> Happy to help. And by the funny. way, Punk- I don't think I haven't noticed that you you blurred out the bike. I saw that too. Are you feeling was, bicycle shame about that shit, man? <laughs> he shamed you. I no one like can see this, Daniel. It's a podcast. for blurring my background, but I'm okay. I'm not. Yeah, I can't. Like you know, my job did not let. <laughs> Jesus, Daniel. So it's, I it's not I, representative of who I am. So I don't. I mean, I mean, I mean, of the people in our relationship, uh, Ted. Like, generally, I'm the one who carries around immense shame because of my upbringing, and I just want to feel shame <laughs> all the time. I'm like fucking Eeyore, and uh, and it surprises me sometimes. Why? And Daniel's like the opposite. He's just like a. He's living this shameless lifestyle. Like, oh, like I am. Nothing. Well, nothing bothers that, him. Everything is permissible. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's getting into. Oh, it now. Finally Ted. found found his his sore spot. It's, <laughs> yeah, just just is. give me and Ron a couple minutes. We got some issues to work out. Uh, Apparently, I'm being judged. No. <laughs> Feel comfortable. Uh, when you are working out a material, and I and I've, I, I man, I apologize for even even getting into this stuff, but I'm I'm so curious you how you ask do the it. Comedian, how to be a comedian, Ron? Well, <laughs> I'm I'm curious about. Um, I mean, yeah, I am. I mean, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am. I am asking, um, <laughs> because I've I've kept a diary of notes on ideas that are funny to me. And does this stuff just always come to you, or do you set a time aside where you're like, now is the time? And also, I am aware that you have a comedy class, a course. So if this is premium content and you need a subscription level for me to join, just let <laughs> me know. And, and <laughs> I get past that I paywall. You, yeah, I can give you a taste. You know, I can give you some broad stroke. No, I do. I do have a comedy class, patreon.com slash Ted Alexandro. Uh, and I have like 20, I think 22 classes up there now cool. talking about everything from getting started and writing and your, your discipline and how to structure your day, uh, you know, finding your voice, all that kind of stuff. 
But honestly, what you spoke about earlier is is really how it starts. You know, like the scenario you described where you find yourself in a room where there's an open mic. Well, that you know, that's not hard to do. You, there's plenty of open mics around. Uh, and whatever terror accompanies that thought of like, oh, tonight's the night I'm doing it. Uh, and you find the place and you you call and say like, okay, what do I have to do? Do I have to sign up? Do, you know, all, like it becomes real when you commit to I'm doing it tonight. Um, and it sounds to me like you're a closeted comedian anyway, if you're keeping a notebook of uh, ideas and, you know, you're, you're halfway there fantasizing yeah. about uh, killing and getting out. Uh, but but if you're a true comedian, you, you won't get out whether you kill or whether you bomb. Uh, that's the test is like the the those of those of us who are in it for the long haul, uh, you're going to be thinking about the next set, whether it's wildly successful or, or a bomb. You know, I, I grew up thinking that I, I was going to be a pastor. I thought I was going to be a preacher and, and carried uh, around a lot of shame for never becoming that. And I, and, there's, and I won't get into the reasons I didn't do that. Uh, needless to say, I, it's just a, a faith issue. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> but but uh, it didn't stop that long ago. I mean, I, I think it was 2015 by the time we, we left the faith world. And my son, who turned 16 in a couple of weeks, um, was talking to me when he was about nine, 10 years old. And he's like, dad, uh, and he named the guy speaking in our church. And he's like, what is, what is, what does he do? He just talks to people. Right. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, he does that. And he's like, I, I want to do that. And I was really surprised. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, you know, tell me more about that. And it took about five minutes for me to realize that he didn't want to be a pastor. He wanted to be a comedian. Like he was like, I'm looking, he, he, and he said it finally. He's like, I like it that he makes people laugh, and I want to do that. And and I was like, oh, oh, thank God. <laughs> it's, well, funny. Tell- it's a much easier life. <laughs> yes, yes, in some in some respects. But I can tell you, there's plenty of comedians that uh, have come from, um, like a what's the word? I guess like a religious or or even an extreme religious background. Yeah. I know comedians that were like Jehovah's Witnesses or uh, in different types of like, um, I'm forgetting now, but even, you know, like uh, evangelical where it was kind of, um, I guess, not the most free thinking so that they're now they're the other side of the coin where they're uh, they're almost railing against their upbringing in some sense. But, you know, I mean, there's plenty of comedians, I think, who fall into that category, whether it's Carlin or Kennison yeah. um, or, you know, like I said, plenty of my peers that where I've heard that recurring story of it was kind of an oppressive nature to uh, whatever system they came up in. And now they're, you know, they, they feel the need to speak out. So I think that there is a strain of comedian who is kind of uh, anti-authoritarian or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. That they, they're reacting to that. There's this mythological trope, the trickster, uh, kind of an archetypal thing, but I was recently listening to this little uh, explanation of it, and there's this story from way back, um, I mean, maybe a thousand years, I don't know, it's from way back. I forgot what culture it was part of. Long story short, there's this um, there's this trickster uh, character who visits a town, and uh, he puts a hat on, and 
on one color, one side of the hat, it's one color and one side of the hat, it's the other color. And he walks by and he basically convinces people that what he's saying is true. And then they say that the person with the red hat, it has, has all this wisdom and it's incredible and it becomes a new God. But then when he walks the other way, everyone sees that the hat is like the other color. And then they say, no, he has this color. And then they end up getting a war. They're saying the same thing. The trickster was, but his hat, they couldn't agree on the color of the hat. And then they finally expose the, the, this little demigod character, this archetype character. And he goes, he just says, spreading strife is my greatest joy. <laughs> <laughs> and I think about, you know, I think about that these days. And I think about some like with uh, Dave Chappelle, you know, for example, and, <clears throat> and how, you know, sometimes when he says things, I'm just like, I know that's funny, but you know, you're causing yourself like you know this is going to cause problems and you're a funny motherfucker you could like i think he's the goat you could say other things you could choose different topics and i just keep thinking about like spreading stripe is this is one of the the greatest joys of of part of our our humanity of part of our psyche and that can be more apparent it seems to me and in, in comedians and i just tip my hat to him it's like and and a lot of comedians and i love comedians i think that they're so valuable and not even them but like the, the bringing the comedian alive in each one of us where you separate what is for a laugh and what is a topic of conversation and would be taken seriously and offensive. And I really like that compartmentalization of like, of like, Hey, we can laugh about this. We can make a joke. That doesn't mean that I take the stance of the joke that I just said, you know, it's for a laugh. And I know that dicey that's really dicey territory right because now it's so easy to take that as your stance but i think humans are waking up and becoming a little more sophisticated and we can start to see many of us more and more that you can have a laugh and make fun of something and be a really um caring person even about that topic yeah i think comedians a lot of times are drawn towards those hot button topics too or, or something that um, they really feel compelled to speak about maybe because of the larger society and the way that it's being treated um, or the way it's expected that you're supposed to talk about something. So comedians are very much drawn to anything like that where there seems to be a, an expectation of, you know, preciousness or whatever. Uh, so, you know, when you're a master like Chappelle is, you can, you can explore those things, uh, you know, and I think comedians have an obligation if they're equipped to do it and compelled to do it uh to do that you know um because we we're, we don't work at in a corporate office we don't work at google we don't work you know and, and there is almost that those types of constraints are imposed on the entire society now like there's an expected decorum to the discourse and whatever but comedians it doesn't apply uh you know we we're working in nightclubs uh, where people are drinking and it, there, there's a different kind of tone, not to say that you're disrespectful or intentionally, you know, trying to be hurtful. I mean, although you can, if you want, that's the, the that's the way it goes with comedy. Uh, but then you also have to kind of suffer the consequences if something doesn't land or is misinterpreted or is properly interpreted. Um, but yeah, I do like the aspect that, comedians uh you know we do have free reign to to speak on things you know okay wait a second I, this yeah, is really ahead. important i have to say this um speaking and not speaking at google on your youtube feed 
okay, YouTube's like offering me shit up is like a, a number of your bits. And mm. then the one directly underneath that one today is Jesse Ventura speaking to Google on 50 documents that the government does not want you to read. How can you explain <laughs> that? <laughs> I don't know. Explain that to us, Ted. Yeah, maybe we look similar enough at this point. <laughs> the Google algorithm just thought it was the same person. <laughs> well, yeah. I, you know, <clears throat> excuse me. One of the things that I've noticed is that people are, uh, some people, you know, and I'm not a real big like people are dot dot dot. Let's get all up in arms about people, you know. It's like I've just noticed that some of my fellow humans and, uh, and even I, 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 I would imagine myself at times, we've just lost, uh, some people sometimes are losing the ability to read sincerity in someone's voice and body language and, and take, and uh, what I, I think of two people with this, Dave Chappelle and Joe Rogan. And, and I'm Who? sure there's, <laughs> sure there's a lot of, a lot of other fucking, um, I'm sure there's a lot of people this happens with, but like Dave Chappelle is clearly a caring, caring human. Like he clearly cares about people, all people, and he's taking the piss out of certain conversations. He's, it's a pressure valve, you know, that's how I see it. It's let's laugh around this. Um, Joe Rogan, the same thing. And, and I just, it, it, as much as anything, it saddens me these days that, that people can't see that because that some people can't see that sometimes. Um, it really, it really bums me out. Uh, you know, when I see a sincere person, clearly, like they would have to be so sociopathic um, to pull off coming that seeming that sincere. And I, I just don't believe it. I'm not a suspicious person by nature. You know, I'm going to believe things a little bit more at face value. Um, but anyways, can you speak a little bit to that? Or what do you think about that? And you too, Ron? Well, I mean, I would say like, you know, I know both of those guys, so I know that to be true. Um, and I think also that, can you guys hear me okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. you're good. Um, I think, you know, it's interesting because the social media age, again, imposes uh, kind of dynamics upon conversations or even artistic experiences that didn't exist when it was created, you know, so in other words, a stand-up performance is a very specific thing that happens in a room and people are listening uh, with a certain understanding that they're part of a crowd. They're not going to react with every thought that pops into their head. They're not going to interrupt 90% of the time. They're not going to express uh, you know, disagreement, dissatisfaction, uh, offense or whatever, you know, they're going to have an experience of the arts and then they're going to go home and talk about it with whoever they attended with or whatever. But now, uh, you know, when, when something comes out on Netflix or whatever, uh, yeah, and, and similarly, you also in the old days would have that experience of popping in a videotape or a DVD and you'd watch it with whoever was next to you. But now everybody weighs in on social media and, you know, after they've had time to sit with everyone's like a reviewer uh, because it's not like what you're thinking in real time. That's a very different thing, S either sitting in the room uh, if you're attending the, the experience 
or even sitting on your couch, you're not pausing every minute and saying, all right, let me jot down. Uh, that, that really, you know, made me feel this way or that you're just having an experience, right? And then the amalgamation of that at the end, you walk out of the theater or you shut off the, the DVD or the, you know, now the streaming, the link or whatever, you know, whatever technology. Um, and then you think about it and talk about it. But now, like I'm saying with social media, everyone then feels the, the need to connect and i'm not saying that's bad necessarily if you want if you want to talk about it or if you have issues but it it marks a very different uh shift in the experience where people are talking about it you know in, in ways that didn't exist like when i was in high school eddie murphy put out his specials there was no like dissecting every joke mm. uh on a public forum it was just talking to it about your friends uh so you know i don't i don't know if it's good or bad but I think what it is, is that not everything is for everyone. Uh, and, you know, maybe, you know, maybe like if you're watching Chappelle or whoever or Rogan's podcast, uh, you're going to see points of view that are limited or that you disagree with. But the good thing is, like, now everyone can, you know, start a podcast or go on stage and express, you know, so they, they do have limitations. They all do, right? They have yeah. blind spots. Yeah. Um, but I think they both bring something valuable to the table via well, comedy that, podcasting. That's one of the reasons that we started this podcast uh, ourselves, you know, because like we're, we're nothing. I don't know. It would be, I don't know how true it would be to say that we're special, you know, but I think you're well, undoing all my daily affirmations. Right <laughs> yeah. Damn, this is hard. <laughs> I'll, I'll affirm that spreading, spreading, <laughs> spreading insecurity is my experience. <laughs> um, you know, you know, like it being in process, like there's so much and many of us are in process, you know, like that's what Will, Will Smith said. I think uh, when he apologized, when he actually apologized afterwards, he said like, I'm a work in pro pro process. You know, I'm a work in progress. And I thought that was nice um, uh, because showing the process to people and and to and to know that there are stakes with the words that we say and just for me and Ron say having these conversations um, where they're going to be for posterity where people are listening that just raises the stakes a little bit you know and it makes our words matter a little bit more and. That has been a little bit of resistance training and friction for us to gain some ground and actually start building articulation around thing, around things. And it's been one of the more satisfying things I've ever experienced. Like we had this idea and then, you know, a year and a half later, two years later, we're like, hey, we were right. You know, like our plan worked, you know, we're getting better at being you. Like we're just getting a little better about speaking and landing in certain places and opening in other places and, you know. I didn't really know where this conversation would go today, but I'm really glad that we got a chance a little bit to talk about this subject, because if there's anything that gets me going, you know, in my head or one of the things that really does, it's it's around the comedian situation. You know, that Will Smith thing fucking disturbed me. And I, I don't get deeply disturbed about stuff. And I was like, this is weird. This is really this was so which part of it, the part his actions or the reaction from everybody else. Well, that's a good question. I think I would think just a short answer would be his actions, but it it, it became more nuanced levels of disturbance disturbance afterwards. Huh. Yeah, yeah. I, I I I found that really problematic and disturbing. 
you know, to me, it was almost indicative that this guy needs help, you know, yeah, like hundred percent. What percentage of people would approach a stage and, and specifically that stage where billions of people are watching or whatever the number is, um, it can't be billions, right? But you know, a lot of people are I watching over time. Sure. Yeah. And yeah. probably now, yeah. <laughs> uh, but like what, what state would you have to be in that you think it's okay to a approach the stage and then b smack the host you know it's uh yeah i found that really bizarre as as you know every everybody did but yeah. hopefully hey. oh he hopefully he is sincerely um you know not just giving lip service and realizing like oh i have to do damage control hopefully he's working on whatever led him to get up out of that seat you know that that was really bizarre to me i would think he is you know i i got it i mean the guy wrote a books just like inspiring good like a guy he tries to help people you know he's kind of like matthew mcconaughey you know like he has inspirational you know he's one of those actors who has also has like inspirational life coach know, actors yeah life coach celebrities. Life coach actor, you know and it's like whoa <laughs> man life coach is there any other kind so that's what they're all doing now right that's 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 the gig it's a good gig if you can if you can do it <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, well, that, yeah. that's the problem is, is I think that very few people are equipped or qualified to, to do both, you know, like, but now every actor thinks that they have the secret to success and the secret to life. And um, they're not really qualified. They, they have a platform and an Instagram account or a TikTok account. But, you know, I don't think they have the skill set or the inner peace or the, you know, um, they haven't done the necessary work they're just used to having a camera and a microphone in their well, face Well, that's why i like the will smith thing in a weird way now that we're talking about it is it it's more valuable for someone to fuck up and heal publicly you know to some extent than it is for someone to have some of the key lines that you can say and clearly they have some of their shit together and just keep putting the glossed version of themselves up you know and i'm not saying who is or isn't doing that but you know it's like you know who has been inspiring me so surprisingly? I had no, I it's totally unexpected. Mike Tyson, man, that guy is turned into kind of a gem. You know, like, is there yeah. any just so unabashedly honest, but also has matured and grown into this like wise, interesting human? What do you think about that fucking guy? <laughs> yeah, I was just talking about this with a friend, like how bizarre it is, like the complete one eighty that he's done. Yeah. From being like a caged animal and convicted rapist, yeah. uh, just this destroyer who would go into the ring and, and you know, knock people out. Um, and to and also be, once said that his favorite punch was the one that he threw that knocked his wife into three walls of, the, of their house. Are you fucking serious? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, right. he said that kind of in his prime, you know, but it's like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not I'm not one of these Whoa. people that uh, thinks Brutal. people aren't. Uh, capable of change and and worthy of redemption and it seems as though he has um you know first of all did his time uh as for his for his crimes um and seems to have also worked on himself right and and like you say is is now kind of like this wise sage who uh seems to have something to contribute you know but isn't uh, trying at all like i don't because he had some of the tools in place. I, we talked about this the last time, though. We had a, a awesome author on. His name is Michael Poor last week, and he wrote a book called Reincarnation Blues. Great book. Highly recommended if you're into that sort of thing. 
Um, but uh, long story short, we brought up the Mike Tyson thing. And I had just that day a little reel or something about Mike Tyson back in one of his last fights. And after the post fight interview was him just saying, you know, I, I'm done. You know, I'm a father now. I can't do this anymore. I'm not an animal anymore. And in the comments, I read a few of the comments and the, every comment was, I can't believe how sincere this guy is. This is the most honest uh, uh, interview with a an athlete I've ever seen. And I felt the same way. So I think this thing that in that probably that honesty and lack of um, filtering probably also is a part of his brain that doesn't that allowed him to not filter some of his actions, you know, some on the negative side, but mm, it seems like point. something has changed where now this thing has, it, it's still in place where he's just so honest. I saw an interview with him recently and um, the guy, the uh, person speaking with him, they were at his house and they started talking about his daughter who died. I guess his daughter died when she was four. I never, I never knew that. And he, they didn't plan to talk about it. And Mike's speech was getting slower and slower. And, and then he started, you know, tearing up and, and he goes, and he just goes, you got to go now. I'm sorry. And he gets up, Mike gets up and he goes, I got to be a man. I got to stop crying. And then the interviewer goes, you can cry, Mike. And then that was it. I was like, dude, who is this guy? What, is, what, a, what a human, you know? I think a lot of those people who grew up in, in the public eye, um, you know, and not only grew up, but, but were earning a paycheck uh, from childhood, whether it's Tiger Woods or Michael Jackson, um, Whitney Houston, all these people that, that were kind of working from the time they were children. Uh, and Mike Tyson, too. Right. I think he was he was with Customato is his trainer from the time he was like 13. 14. Yeah. 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 I mean, he was winning world championships as a teenager. Or to, as, yeah. at least 20, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. So you're on that track and you're kind of like tunnel vision. Um, I think, you know, it, it does take a long time to to grow up and to maybe undo some of the trauma and all the other things. So, yeah, like you said, it, that's hard to do in any event, but it's especially hard to do publicly. I think there's I think the the public part of that of that quality is. Um, so much of it, and I feel this even now, and I'm, and I, and I will agree with you, Daniel, I'm nobody, I have no opinion that matters to the, the world at large. Honestly. And I feel the fear, 100%. And I feel the fear of, of my opinion being shit on my opinion, or my words, or my, or my products, or whatever it is being, um, uh, you know, not welcomed by, by whoever I think is out there. And, and I would imagine people who do grow up like that. I just recently saw the Judy movie about Judy Garland that uh, Renee Zellweger was mm -hmm. in. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, it showed some of her childhood. I don't know how accurate that stuff is, but even if it's half true, it's still a fucking traumatic situation for a kid to be in having to work um, the way that yeah. they had to and everything being uh, editorialized and, and um, um, uh, what's the word? Um, you know, programmed so that it looks like it's coming out a certain way. And I, mm -hmm. and I would imagine it just has to feel so fucking good to be honest about what, what's really going on in, in their life. David their Letterman. Situation. David Letterman was a great example of that, right? Yeah. I fucking had no idea who that guy was. Might not say I do now, but Ted, do you feel that way? Like as soon as he was done, beard came out, he started talking. I was like, Oh my God, man, he's got a whole other personality that he never could show anybody. 
Yeah, it is interesting, right? When you're in that machine for so long. Um, yeah, it's a, a part of it is almost like tragic too, because I mean, oh, you saw totally. you saw it with the pandemic that um, Colbert like grew a huge beard too, yeah. and a, a lot of people did. But the thing is, like, why can't these guys or any person who changed during the pandemic in different ways, like, why did we need that pause to have permission? to explore right yeah, like why don't we have that freedom all the time and i think a lot of it goes back to that the ways in which we censor ourselves whether it's just because of corporate uh strictures or expectations or societal or fa family or whatever it might be like we were we were literally quarantined so i guess we didn't really have to answer to anyone you know the uh ron and i well ron's read this book many times he turned on turned it uh turned me on it recently iron john it's a uh, poet and translator Robert Bly wrote this book back in I think in the nineties. Oh, the yeah. Iron John. This is no, the eighties. Yeah, growing yeah. up, you know, figuring it out, you know, book. But like it itself is kind of a work of art. And he fucking talks about beards and hair. He goes, he goes, this mythologically, this is, and he had some things to say about that. But it had to do with that little, not not the kitsch like wild person. It has it had to do more with something subtle around what you're talking about. And I think about presidents, you know, wearing hats, smoking cigars, having a beard. And I was just like, things are very different now, you know, and in some ways. And I wonder if we're gonna we're gonna loosen up. You know, we have these great uh, examples like David Letterman and and some of the stuff that you referenced from the pandemic. And you know, people are smart as hell, you know, we're gonna figure it out. And I wonder if some of that can start to or continue to be more and more public and normalized and, and maybe bring some of that onto these uh, broad, broad, broad platforms. Well, I'm sure that's probably a, a big reason why people love Trump so much is they felt like I don't fucking mm. I have no opinion on whether that's, that's his true point. self or not. Um, but they but a lot of people who followed him felt like it gave them permission to be more honest and sh say unfiltered things, most of which I, in my experience, have seen has not been healthy. But uh, but there no, is your this point's like, taken. Yeah. yeah, but there is this yeah. like, hmm, what would it be like to actually um, allow yourself to say whatever you want to say, and and to the extent of, um, <laughs> you know, it being generative for the world, you know, good <laughs> good for the world, uh, and I. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a challenge to myself is is allowing myself to say to be more honest about my opinion. Maybe I mean, I don't think it's always necessary, but at least in my preferences for for what I, whatever I'm experiencing, because I'm definitely the kind of guy who's like experiencing suffering because of something happening around me, and I don't say shit about it. You know, I'm just like everything's fine over here. Yeah, that's uh, I'm not going to say where I'm going to I'm going to continue to stay in my people pleasing uh, experience because uh, that's how I get people to like me, and. And I have to, for me, I'm having to like turn that discomfort knob up in my life to like, you know, create boundaries and, and, um, say, say when I'm uncomfortable in a situation. Fuck yeah. I, I think that's important, man. And, and, you know, like, what are you waiting for? You know, like if, if you guys had the number one podcast, uh, would you, would you be censoring yourself or you, or would you be like, Oh shit, you know, we got the, we have the number one podcast, you know, we ha obviously have something to contribute and you do whether you have the number one podcast or not, you know, like you, uh, you have a microphone in front of you, you owe it to yourself to, you know, to be yourself and not yeah. censor, you know, uh, it's the same things we're talking about with like what Trump's appeal and all that. Like, yeah. Most people 
do walk around censoring themselves or do walk around, you know, not to say that it's entirely healthy, of course, but um, the freedom, that, that kind of freedom has its appeal. And th- same things we're talking about with, with the pandemic and the ways that people questioned like their lives and how their life is structured and their priorities and everything. It's like, what are we waiting for? You know, like it should be a constant evolution towards, you know, being who you want to be and living how you want to live. It's a skill though. Right. I mean, it's, it's, it's challenge. It can be challenging. Like there's around comedy, for example, I, I have huge value around laughing my ass off and I love finding the jokes and hearing and being around more funny people and them elevating me and, and being around someone who's not, but open and me elevated. Like, I just, I just like looking for that joke. You know, Ron and I have talked about it on here, but we tend both of us to go toward the serious as our resting place. And so, you know, it's a muscle we got to like, uh, exercise just with mindfulness but then to just say oh i'm going to be mindful of this decide to do it that doesn't mean you're going to be able to do it often do it well you know and i think quote like be yourself that's a creative process like you could uh if in my experience you could uh designate 30 percent of your day and effort uh, and capacity to being yourself and it would still take a long time and maybe you wouldn't even go that make it that far if you weren't doing the work, you know, and, and what does that even fucking mean? Be yourself. You know, it's like, you got to come up with that. And that's mm-hmm. what I think being a parent for me, rap, I'm not a parent, but if I were to be, I feel like I would discover myself at a rapid pace, maybe not all of the good parts, um, but definitely, you know, yeah. Yeah, Daniel's got Daniel and I've got a mutual friend who was talking about defining what they say a little while back. And, and they said, um, I'm paraphrasing, but they, but they're basically saying like, I reserve the right to, um, to state that all, everything coming out of my mouth is essentially in a rough draft form and I can change my mind and change what's going to be said. And that shit has inspired me quite a bit so much so that it's, it's become a talking point in my children. Like you can say something now and it's okay if you change your mind in the future and whatever you're trying to say to me is, is liable to change and that's okay too. And and that's challenging to me because I've I've spent so much time in my life programmed to say the right thing all the time or what I think is the right thing. It's fucking not, well, you know, whatever it is. But but I feel a, like a physical reaction in my body of like, I'm not safe if I don't say the right thing or if I don't say things that are, are going to please people. And and so that muscle in my life is a, is physically challenging. Like it's it's hard to do. Um, I could probably use yeah. being being punched in the face a few times for just saying something innocuous, just so I know it's like, I'm going to survive. Yeah. Just lean, lean into it, man. Just, (laughs) just pop off and start saying the opposite. (laughs) Ted, do you, do you experience, like I was listening to a bit of yours around moving to a red, moving to a red state like uh, that. I don't know if you remember that bit of yours, but in that particular bit, I don't know for whatever reason, it seems to me at least that you were taking longer pauses um, and they were preg- very pregnant pauses, no pun intended because it was an abortion joke, but like, <laughs> fuck, man, I was like, dude, you could feel the audience cringing. Like, are you going to say something that's going to really offend us or piss us off? Or are we going to handle it if you do or don't? And I was just like, that must be a liberating, fun place to exist in. Oh, yeah, yeah. When you have jokes that you know are going to provoke, you know, but that's <laughs> something that takes time to develop too. You need a certain level of mastery and, you know, just the, the repetition of having done it 
that you can tell the joke and that your intent is mm. clear to you and also to the crowd. But also you get to a place where you don't care. So kind of to, to like what you were saying earlier, I don't care. If I know my intention is pure and right and I'm just trying to provoke thought or I'm trying to make an artistic exploration of a topic, um, you know, I don't have to flog myself because it didn't land with everyone or whatever. Once I've made my piece that uh, I've really thought a lot about this and I've worked it through and I've worked it through on stage in front of a lot of audiences. Um, I, I honestly don't care if it's coming from the right place from my intention and uh, it's getting a certain amount. I mean, if it's just dying like a dog every night, then, then it's my fault. But if it's, if it's getting some laughs, then uh, it validates like, yeah, I'm right about this and I don't have to explain it or apologize. Yeah. That confidence, that confidence. And, and I would, yeah, I don't know what to say about that. That's just like totally agree and value that. <laughs> I, I mean, it, it, that gives me a temperate attitude because there's uh, like some jokes rolling around my head that I feel like would be just fucking murderous in me being the one who gets murdered. And uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, and there's I... there's a lot of fun in, in doing that, man. Like, and the thing you realize, too, is that nobody does get murdered you know it's like th there's all these kind of uh, violent terms around stand-up like you you killed you yeah. murdered yeah you, notice you died like a dog you went down in flames you know all these kinds of terms but the reality is it's just a person speaking in public it yeah. goes well it doesn't go well uh you feel those feelings and then you regroup and reassess you know so that's the beauty of it is if you have thoughts that are funny provocative out there whatever it is the beauty of stand-up, and I tell people this all the time, uh, you can go find a stage tonight. Tonight. Mm -hmm. No matter where you live, I'm sure there's a stage within an hour of where you live that has an open mic. And uh, and you can try it out, you know? And you can feel all those feelings. Like, that's the beauty of it, too, is you feel alive in ways that you don't feel day-to-day -day just walking around, going, running your errands, even amongst your family. You feel alive in ways like I'm kind of jumping off the cliff and, and sharing parts of myself uh, and then seeing how it goes, you know? So that's what I love about stand-up. It is, it's invigorating in those kind of ways, especially if you're taking risks. You know, I feel Ted, like you've we've challenged us twice today, Tex, and I feel like <laughs> I cannot be challenged anymore. Thank you for your time. <laughs> uh, um, we call this show cutting for sign. It's a tracking term that I, if you, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's pretty archaic and it just, it just means finding signs and delineating their mean, their meaning and then following the thing. And so we just use it as a, as a loose metaphor for, you know, to be a little better, maybe a better version of ourselves. Let's find the signs with through the people that we speak to. And, you know, and I know it's, it's meaningful to Ron that you're, you're calling him a little bit on this. And uh, I, oh, yeah, I, thanks man. Appreciate I know <laughs> it's cool, man. I, I I'm tempted to see like bust out one of your shitty jokes, you know, but um, maybe one of these times you could do that, Ron. And then the last thing to I know, don't do, uh, let me say this. Don't do it on the podcast. You got it. If it's a stand up thing, you got to do it in front of the crowd. That do seems right. Oh. Yeah. Oh. yeah. There's some uh, Ron. Sorry. There's just, your own safety there's someone behind you oh that's my butler <laughs> don't worry about it yeah, it's a child worker it's okay ron, <laughs> ron was uh 
child worker uh you have two of them don't you yeah they work really hard not anymore um, school started yesterday or today so they they're back to school uh other responsibilities just uh as a way of saying goodbye ron i want to share a story ron was present for the i got to have the moment that you were talking about uh where um well ron that you were talking about your you know wet dream about about going up on stage and and having a great three minutes and then being done uh ron and i were in port townsend actually to uh, record an episode of a podcast and we and another friend of ours um happened in a in a comedy club we're in a bar and then that bar was hosting a comedy club or comedy session we were like oh cool let's do it and for some reason out of all we were way late but out of all of the tables that were free there was only one table open and it was the one dead center which i guess you can you would maybe know why that one was 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 still free because they're gonna get fucking nailed but uh we go the first comic is great second one is really good like we were in a good show yeah it was a and, good set they did good. yeah we started anchoring the laughter i could tell and all the comedian the comics were like they weren't touching us they were just thankful that we were and we didn't have to anchor it was a good crowd but we just noticed that they were being really nice to us. So it's cool. Um, and then the last one came up and he was one of the comics who does all of his work just with crowd work. Right. And it's just such an impressive uh, skill set. He was doing like a great job telling <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. Um, and then there was a, a baby grand piano right next to it. And about 20 minutes left in his show, he goes, Hey, is anyone here play piano? And I like raised my hand and another guy did. And he goes to the other guy, come up here and, and help me out. And the guy was like, fuck that. And then he goes, well, how about you, man? And I I play a little piano, a little bit. And I generally have gotten really nervous uh, in front of people doing things. But I was like, this is my time. Fuck it, man. And I went up there and I sat down and I just know a little bluesy riffy type stuff. And I did one that, that was like a shuffle and he made made a joke, said it, said it sounded like he was supposed to be a dancing clown in front of it. And then we settled into this just like really easy blues thing. And my friend, my other friend, David, was there. He knew how big of a deal this was for me. And he's like, and I was like, I, from that moment on, Ted, I don't remember a fucking word that comic said. All of my attention was going in this. And my friend was just like, he just kept doing this. And Ronald's like, keep going, buddy. And the the you, comic- You guys order, were like horse and rider. I mean, like it was, you couldn't tell it, where one started and one ended. <laughs> I didn't realize how well it was working until later. I just was holding on by my, by my bootstraps. But he ordered me a Manhattan from the bar and he would not end his set until I got my Manhattan because he was so grateful. Well, I ran into him later and he goes, here's what I was doing, man. Uh, he goes, the crowd was getting a little chaotic. You know, the energy was a little dispersed. And he has some friends who use music in some capacity to help rein that back in. He's like, I've never done that. I wanted to try. And he's like, you helped me do it. And it worked. That's so, so awesome. great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Beauty of it, like the, just spur of the moment, and you rose to the occasion, kind of out yeah. of character, something you weren't yeah. sure about. It was I mean, awesome, man. You created this uh, this memorable moment, man. It's a, uh, that's what I love about the arts and stand up. Yeah, that's great, man. Uh, where can people find more about your stuff, Ted? Um, they can uh, go to the ranch, Tex Alexandro's <laughs> <laughs> boots, uh, yeah, no. <laughs> 
Uh, and any any social media, Ted Alexandro, you'll find me and tedalexandro.com. You'll see my full schedule for touring and all that. And the comedy classes are, are on Patreon. Is there so, any con- content out there you're particularly proud of? Do you want to point people toward? Um, well, my latest special is called Cut Up, uh, and that's free on YouTube. You can find Cut Up there. And also the web series you alluded to, Teacher's Lounge, uh, okay. is on 10 episodes, and those are all on YouTube as well. Cool. cool. Thanks, Ted. Yeah, appreciate your time, Ted. Yeah, thank you, guys. This was fun. Cool. Right. Bye. See you on the road. Take care. Feel the dressing, baby. Uh, I do feel challenged by Ted Alexandro in a good way. I mean, I, I, I mean, I actually don't. I'm, I'm hesitant to even say how I'm challenged so that I don't have to like follow through on that challenge in my life. Yeah, that's weak. That's I know weak, it's super weak, weak sauce. sauce. So that's then, a, that's so that, so I'm tea. saying that, so I don't hide out. And, <laughs> and that is number one is I, I, I can't let the year go by 2022 without doing a uh, open mic somewhere. I got You're giving yourself four months. <sighs> yeah, that feels, I almost would rather get a call from one of our early guests, Andy uh, hung challenging me who is a black belt martial artist challenging me to a fight uh, that, that almost sounds less I scary totally hear you fuck yeah man <laughs> public speaking one of the things people are most afraid of and yeah. maybe that doesn't get you in every public speaking situation yeah but yeah. there's getting to you in that one that's fair it does man, man it does I, I like i would rather face a gorilla like andy than than go stand up somewhere but i, yeah. I think to his and, point though man it's like it it like he, you know, when he's was describing that there's like just no other feeling like it, like I, I tasted just like, it's like in the movies where the guy cuts open the, the brick of heroin and like sticks his pinky in and like licks it. And he's like, yeah, pure great Columbia, bam, bam. Like, that's how I felt that time at the, at the, um, heroin or Coke. Did you just mix your metaphor your drug metaphors? I did. I'm not, obviously I'm not a druggist. Uh, and so disappointed <laughs> when we have quentin tarantino on we're gonna have i didn't to want to die really... man I, I thought i was gonna die i had the i i thought i was gonna die from drugs i never did drugs um uh <laughs> god damn it where was i it wasn't that oh, important it oh it was important me. because when i when i got the when i landed the joke the one joke that came out yeah. of me during the, yeah. the class and it killed like the, the whole room laughed. People were kind of like squeamish because it was a squeamish joke. Uh, like it felt so good. I like it was so super high. And the funny part was I couldn't stop talking about it on the way home with my wife. And she was like, all she could think about was how she didn't rise to the occasion. And she was like, oh, I should have said this when I said that. And, and oh, so and, you were building some nice resentment, some juicy, nice oh, resentment so between you and your wife. So oh, yeah. Nice. So now. So, so now, man, I got to fucking do it, I guess. Like, you know, three minutes seems like a long time to stand in front of some folks with your own raw material. I was a distance runner and they say the hardest race was the 800 meters, not the five, not the 10K. They'd say it was the 800. It's two, it's less than two minutes of running, you know, average. And Whoa. the pain that you reach on that, for some reason, that distance. I always think about that when I think of anything that's around three minutes. Oh, interesting. Don't do a sex joke. Please, there's not. <laughs> oh, 
Oh shit! Okay. I know I you're familiar with notes. the cross that off my notes. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I know you have a very intimate relationship with the three minute mark. So, <laughs> no, it's... I don't. It's only like a minute. <laughs> well, hey, to book to book into this conversation with the self prophecy, I would be I would be tempted, part of your brain, to to suggest, you know, or if I was in your place to do this, just accept that you're gonna fucking bomb, man. Yeah. Probably gonna bomb. Yeah, that seems right. Yeah. It's okay, man. And then that if you get that one little giggle, that one little laugh where you found the sweet spot, then that's a huge success. Well, the other th challenge I felt from him pretty strongly was like is not censoring myself here on the podcast. And, oh yeah. And when he said that, I'm like, am I doing that? But I'm probably doing that. And I don't even know how I'm doing it. And 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 I'm trying to do it more like today. I felt I found myself insanely obnoxious trying to land the little jokes. I was trying to, you know, paper. Airplane I can tell there. you were doing it and you were doing great. Oh, I, awesome, you don't have to man. tell you don't have to tell me I was doing great or anything, but I was I'm like, not bullshitting I, you. I was impressed. I was like, wow, he's not fucking around. He's I'm trying. Yeah. I'm trying. I and but I felt like I, there's a, there's an even higher level of allowing myself to say because I think he can sense it, whether it's from from uh me just telling my story or or also noticing like here's the beat where the you know the 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 bass player can like do a little fill or something and you know so I, I, that's the other place where i'm like okay ted you're right you're you're right ted well i think and 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 i hope that this is you can edit this out and all that but like no we have we are getting we're getting a clear understanding of of what our of our personal lives we can share for each other and one of the things that I think that I love that you're doing in your life is, is recognizing, and this inspires me to do it more in mine too, recognizing where you don't say how you feel. Yeah. And when it's an appropriate time to do that. And when you know, you have the grace to do it, you know, not, not to not do it, you know, meanly or inappropriately, like, like there's, you have the tool sets you and I both have the tool sets uh, to more, more often than not say how we feel if we have a problem with something if we feel complimenting of someone then you and i have been working on this entire time we've been hanging out like for example giving people compliments in public you know that's another version of saying how you feel pulling the pulling the um you know they get the holstered compliment that you felt you know it's not that holstered like yeah. you had one you wanted to go out and give someone but when you feel a compliment of someone say it you know nine times out of ten it's going to be welcome and um or another version of that is questions you know, if someone doesn't understand something, there seems to be a fear of not of being dumb or something. If you ask a question, oh, yeah. it's the opposite. You know, Big people time, yeah. respect when people ask questions. The dumber the question in, in some respects, you know, the better. You know, the humility to just pull that question, pull that compliment or pull like you did the other day. You and I were talking, you were getting annoyed with me, you know, and you, you didn't hold it in, man. And I can tell when you hold it in, man, it's not pleasant. It's now a charge, you know? Yeah. And you didn't, you just said how you felt, you know? And I was like, heard, and I see why, and we were good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, a, I think that's a, a, a big part of your, yours and I's, um, I just made this plural uh, relationship and friendship is that I've felt I'm feeling, you know, it's a place where I can be more honest and okay. And you're kind of holding my feet to the fire, so to speak. And that's helped. It's helped a huge amount in my whole life. And also recognizing like, like that's part of my old, you know, nice guy, oh, people yeah. pleasing tendencies, oh, yeah. a part of me that, that I thought served me previously in my life. Like, a, like I know how to get people to like me. 
I know how to get um, into good situations, but it's actually the older I get, the more I realize that, oh no, it's actually been super limiting. Like I've actually not been able to pursue the things I really want to pursue because I'm, uh, I was stuck in patterns of trying to get people to right. accept, accept just, me, not as me, but as like what I projected, I thought they needed me to be. Yeah. They accept your persona. They accept the yeah. surface. It keeps everything. Okay. You know, and that's what that is. Right. I mean, I don't want us to sound like we know everything, but something that is becoming <laughs> something that's becoming more yeah. clear, right. Is that, whoa, when you're are like, afraid of conflict and you're in some and we do this in some versions of our lives and we might be fucking crushing it in others where we don't do it yeah. at all right that's another tricky thing but it's a defense mechanism man you think keep things yeah. cool there's not going to be danger and if you grew up in a dangerous environment you got good at first recognize you got sensitive to danger you got yeah. sensitive to recognizing and how to recognize it and you got really good at either avoiding it or ameliorating it or like somehow caging it somehow controlling it somehow dealing with it and one of those main coping mechanisms is right is just like keep things cool if there's nothing there's no conflict that means there's not going to be any mm. problems not going to be any of the pain that i felt blah 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 and yeah. it's like you and i man we we can start to it's like he said you get confident you get confident with knowing your intention and knowing your you know if your intention and your essence is pure not essence but your your intention and your your who you are you know it's good you you can be okay with with pissing people off yeah what does ameliorate mean i feel like i've heard that word once or twice but i don't know what it means uh, i use it to mean um uh, take the edge off calm it down okay um, make it okay make it less Got, oh, yeah, kind of to water down. Yeah, to ameliorate. Yeah, ameliorate. that's what how the, I use it. I might be, yeah, yeah. If you can talk for, for 30 seconds, I'll actually yeah. You know, when you said, uh, I mean, one of the other things I, I don't think I accounted, accounted for in my life about keeping things uh, calm is that part of my experience growing up where I did was the fact that um, it was actually a violent place. Like, I, like the, there was a, a culture of like, at the, I think they called it mad dog at the time, which is, is like someone would stare at you and you had to stare back or not stare back. Or if you stared back too long, like suddenly you were in a fight with somebody cool. and, and in my high school in particular was so violent that we had a police station on site there. It had a booking station with the, with the, you know, the height, you know, like chart in the background Jesus. and a fingerprint situation regularly uh, confiscating guns um uh dog, dog dog searches the whole deal and and the and they would try to by by my sophomore year they were trying to incentivize us to not fight by saying if there's no fights today you're going to get out of school early and we never did that we never did that um you know i, I went to school with kids who had like you know the ankle tracker bracelets on and and that whole deal and I never connected uh, this aspect of yourself that you've been changing and evolving, like people pleasing aspect. I never connected that to your high school. I, too, that's hugely uh, affecting of that, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I did either. Honestly, I don't know if I did either until until maybe just now. Dude, right? Yeah. So, I mean, look how much fucking time you spent. You know, we spend in school. Yeah. And yeah. during really. Uh, informing ages you know really yeah. really ages of huge growth like that must be a huge part like you just wanted things to be it's like it sounds like it was being in low-level prison it was 
It totally was. And it started way before high school because of just the, the poverty rates and all that stuff in the wow. town I grew up in. And, um, and just like the scent, I remember just basically from first through third grade being afraid all the time at getting in fights, even, even that age, uh, like rolling around the dirt with little kids because of who knows what. And, and then again, basically from seventh grade all the way through high school. It changed when I moved out of town and I went to a, a different high school, which was like just in the suburbs of, of Dallas. And that I, I could tell immediately, like, I was like, oh, this is, the stakes are not the same here. Uh, but by that time I was so done with high school, I actually homeschooled my last year and just like fucking worked, you know, I had, I got a job, like a, like a blue collar job, but that's a different story. Hey man, this was a great episode and this is making, this is, this is challenge me. I'm going to take these challenges up and. Uh, and the primary one is, is around you and I on this podcast, but also in my life, like saying what I want, saying what I mean when I, when I mean it. And the other is like, I gotta fucking walk into that place. You know, I know, I, I already know which place I'm going to walk into. Get your material ready, right? Yeah. Like get three, get your three minutes, start practicing it. Yeah. Yeah. Will yeah. you do it for me sometime? I'll do it to you. I, I will. I will do it for you, but I want, I don't think I'll do it on the podcast. No, um, I, I, I hear you. Yeah. He was yeah. right. Yeah. Um, that's an awesome challenge, man. I like that. Yeah. You will ameliorate, ameliorate yourself because I had it wrong. It means to be better, to make something better. Oh shit! Okay, nice. That's yeah. a long word, a long weird word to come out oh. of the mouth just to mean better. So I don't know if that's worth it. Oh my, put a slug <laughs> in ameliorate. <laughs> ameliorate is not ameliorating the uh, English language. Could you say that in a better way? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Fuck. (laughs) Fuck that word. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, another good episode, man. I enjoy myself. And we'll catch you next time.